Running a race, and in essence, all competition is about defying expectations, pushing yourself to a place that was previously thought to be impossible. Whenever anyone can pull it off successfully, it is a thing to be truly marveled at, and is surely an inspiration to all who yet to witness. That can be said of almost every time that Ed Whitlock towed the line. Ed, who sadly passed away last week, seemingly rewrote the 70-plus Masters record book, and on this week's show, Canada Run Series race director and friend of Ed's, Alan Brooks, joins us to remember him. Also, Rajon Chazon is just a few weeks away from the Boston Marathon, and after a fairly impressive build, we caught up with him to discuss the legendary race and what he's been up to. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Fierce competitor and oldest marathoner under three hours, Ed Whitlock passed away at age 86 last week. Ed was very well known within the community and seemingly beloved by all. To help mark his passing, we gave his good friend and Canada Run Series race director, Alan Brooks, a call. So I, I guess a logical place to start, Alan, would be at the beginning. Where did you first meet Ed Whitlock? I think my, my first recollections um, uh, were of Ed owning the 60 to 69 age category in our Canada Running Series right through the 1990s. Uh, the series started in 1990 as the Coors Light Running Series, uh, and then it was the GMC uh, Running Series before eventually in 99 it became Canada Running Series. And uh, uh, then in the old days, we always used to have a pair of shoes for first, uh, a jacket or something for second, and a gym bag for third in the age category. So I think most of the, the, the famous... 20-year-old shoes that Ed's been running in the last few years were ones that he, he won at the series races um, that he so dominated as a 60-year-old 60, 60 in the 90s. Uh, so that was really the first uh, uh, meeting with Ed. I noticed in a, in a recent uh, video that was done of him uh, at his home, uh, he actually had uh, one of the trophies from the Coors Light uh, Toronto Half Marathon, as it was then, the grand finale, uh, was, was a beer can uh, mounted hmm. on, a, on a pedestal with a runner on the top of the beer can. I think he got that in 93. Uh, so, so that was the beginning, but things really took off um, in 2003 uh, when Ed became the first septuagenarian on the planet uh, to go under three hours. Uh, he ran 2.50. He just squeaked in time across the line. Uh, he had a fall, uh, uh, um, uh, slipped and fell the previous week, um, and he actually, his face was all cut up, mm. uh, and he really looked, he was leaning Strongly to, to his left as he came in. Uh, he, he, typical Ed, he, he just loved to race. He left it all out there. He got that 259.10. And Runner's World US, um, uh, the same day, uh, Paul Turgat had a new uh, men's world record in Berlin, and Andres Espinosa ran a new. Masters 40 plus world record sub 210 in Berlin. And 
the December issue of the Runners World magazine, uh, you know, the largest magazine for runners on the planet, mm-hmm. uh, trumpeted a day for the ages. Uh, mm-hmm. New world records in Berlin and Toronto. Um, and Ed gave us his rallying cry of don't limit yourself. Uh, and after that, uh, the game was on for a partnership. Uh, and the next year, uh, Ed came back uh, and did the Impressors in 2003. He just, you know, blew the doors off beyond any credulity uh, in 2004 uh, when he ran 254.49. Uh, and if you age grade it, people tell me now, uh, Ed was a great engineer and statistician. Uh, not so much me, uh, but I believe the H-graded tables uh, uh, convert that 254.49 at age 73 to 202.54, wow. which is three seconds faster than the current open world record. Mm-hmm. Um, Ed often said that was his finest race. And our little race that was, you know, 600 runners in the Scotia Toronto Waterfront Marathon two years earlier. Well, in a couple of years, it was over 2,000. Uh, and uh, we we went from there. Uh, um, it was that rallying cry of Ed's, uh, don't limit yourself, that uh, I think opened horizons to us in our little Canadian marathon. Well, we could go on and see... Uh, John Kalai ran a sub 210 in 2007, the 2930, uh, uh, the fastest marathon in Canada since Chapinski's uh, 2955 in, in the 76th Montreal Olympics. A 31-year-old record, people said it would never be broken. No one had run a sub 210 uh, in Canada. Uh, but again, it was Ed challenging us, I think. And uh, uh, he continued to amaze us. Uh, he ran those two sub three hours uh, in his 70s uh, at Toronto Waterfront. And he also ran a sub three in, in 2005, the spring of 2005, at the Rotterdam Marathon. He ran 258.10 there. And they're still the only three sub three hours by people over 70. Hmm. Um, I, I went with Ed to Rotterdam, so I had the, the privilege of being with Ed uh, for all three of those, those sub-threes. Uh, uh, and I think it says a lot about Ed. Uh, so many great stories, but I think this is a, is a good one. We hmm. got to Rotterdam, and... Uh, we, we knew people there. I knew people with the Rotterdam Marathon, and there was a Dutch 70-year-old runner, Jupp Ruter. Uh, and so we set up a challenge. And again, you know, Ed loved to race. He loved the challenges, the competition, the, the records. Uh, and so uh, Ed was accepted into the elite athlete program, and there we were uh, in race week in with all these, you know, 205, 206 Kenyan guys. And they just couldn't believe 
you know, the life expectancy in East Africa. They couldn't believe that here was their granddad <laughs> planning very calmly, as it would be, uh, very calmly and modestly, oh, to run under three hours on Sunday. And then, boom, um, 258.10, the mayor of Rotterdam was there. Yup, trailed in in 307. Uh, and uh, the story doesn't quite end there, though, because it's, again, a, a great Ed story, I think. Hmm. After the race, we went to the elite athlete holding area where people had cops and, and so on. Uh, and finally, we were led out of there in a group um, to go to another building for the formal awards ceremony. And uh, we got halfway uh, to the new building, and I suddenly realized I'd left my backpack in the athlete lounge. And I said, you go ahead, Ed. I'll run back and get my backpack. So I sprinted back towards the room, round the corner, and little did I know, but after we all left, they closed these plate glass doors to the room. So, of course, I ran straight through the plate glass, hmm. uh, cut an artery over my left eye, blood hmm. everywhere. Uh, they dragged me through the, the plate glass, uh, you know, got the paramedics, uh, uh, bandaged it up. Uh, uh, and, of course, Ed, being Ed, the ultimate friend and gentleman, didn't carry on for the awards ceremony. He came back uh, to look after me and um, to go with me to the university hospital. Hmm. Uh, and there we got into the emergency room and they started to take the temporary bandages off my my you know, my, my forehead. Mm -hmm. And with the artery, the blood started spurting again. And all of a sudden, all these nurses and doctors were coming into the room and saying, Oh, Mr. Whitlock, congratulations, Mr. <laughs> Whitlock. Wonderful race, brilliant race. <laughs> uh, and I'm don't let me bleed out here, man. Uh, so, so, that's the thing. It's obviously an incredibly sad, sad time. We have lost a legend, uh, an icon for our sport, uh, a great friend. Um, Malcolm Gladwell said he was one of the top ten runners of all time. But there are so many great Ed stories that I think, you know, when I reflect back on them, like that Rotterdam one, it, it brings a smile, and I hope that, you know, that's, that's the way we'll remember it. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I think reading all the, all the reaction, um, you know, afterwards, you have everyone from, from the Let's Run folks who are, who are the more competitive side of the sport, but also fairly salty. And, uh, and you know, they, they really love the guy, but, you know, you have also more of your recreational runners, and they also love the guy, too. How do you think he was able to, you know, gain the admiration of, of all runners? I mean, it's typically a community that I think is pretty divided. I think Ed was a remarkable person. But I think, too, while in his heart, you know, he was this fierce athlete. I think he, you know, a waterfront marathon. He, he, 
want to be in with the elite athletes, with those 205 and 206 guys in the hotel and the technical meeting. But breaking three, and just last call at Waterfront Marathon, breaking four, they were times that so many runners could relate to. Um, I think it's hard for a lot of us. You know, I ran a 2.34 marathon uh, some considerable time ago, hmm. but it's still hard to relate to people in the three-minute club, you know, that sub-206.35, two, three minutes a kilometer, mm-hmm. uh, or, or running 202, or, goodness, breaking two hours. But running, you know, when Ed set those sub-three times, there were all these club runners and really, really keen, the let's run people, you know, who are busting their rear ends in training to get under three and just trying to hang on to granddad. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of the time they couldn't. And now when the average finishing time is 4.10, 4.20, and here's your 86-year-old, maybe great granddad, you know, running 3.56, I think because of those times, he, people can relate to him, and they they knew how hard the average runner knew how hard they had to train to run sub three or sub four. And again, Ed, at his age, it was astonishing. Uh, I, I think the other thing too, um, if you don't mind me digressing a bit. Oh, no problem. Uh, hope we got enough, uh, enough recorder here. <laughs> um, in, in, in November 2005, so, you know, this is this first sort of huge, um, you know, impact, 2003, four and five. We've been to Rotterdam in the spring of 2005. In the, the autumn of 2005, uh, Runners World started this program for recognizing important athletes. And Ed was invited, along with his son Neil, and I went with them uh, to this big presentation on the Friday night. Uh, and there was Dean Acaster there and, and a whole bunch of, you know, prominent Olympic stars uh, 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 to receive these awards. Uh, and Ed was simply receiving the award as the master. Hmm. And he had to get up, I think it was after Justin Gatlin, and Ed sort of got up looking the consummate gentleman, dapper in his his suit, pinstripe suit, Hmm. uh, again, and tie, and said, well, something like, well, I'm I'm not quite sure what to say because I, I, I don't have a coach, and, and I don't have an agent, and, and I, I, I don't have a physiotherapist or a support team. I don't have any commercial endorsements. I really just like to go out and run. <laughs> and the room sort of cracked up. Uh, uh, he became a huge hero for people like Andy Burfoot, then an editor at Runner's World, but yeah, so he, he, he represented the simplicity of running. But so many runners, again, 
and enjoy. I think of that thing in New York, he said, no, I don't have a special diet either. I eat, pretty well eat whatever Brenda puts in front of me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I think Reed Coulson made a comment, uh, or maybe it was Eric Gillis last week, uh, you know, that at Waterfront Marathon, people would be nervous and intense. And there would be Ed just reading the paper, you know, <laughs> uh, before the, the race. Um, it was that simplicity that I think a lot of runners could relate to and admire. You you don't have to have a million and one gadgets and support crews. You can just go out and run. Uh, and uh, Not that Ed enjoyed the training. It was the racing and the records. He, he really, he really loved. One moment that really sticks out to me is is just after the Scotia Toronto Waterfront Marathon last year, uh, we were sitting up in in the press room, and uh, and you know you had all all your winners, your Canadian winners, your your overall winners, uh, you know, go through answering questions and stuff. And uh, I think by by the end, you know, so, some of the people in there were, were getting pretty bored. But but then Ed Whitlock walked in the room, and and you know the applause was there, and and everyone was really really engaged and just hanging on to every single word that, that he said, uh, more so for him than, than for the winners or, or even the Canadian winners. That being said, uh, you know, what's come out is, is he was actually, you know, a fairly private person and, and a, a fairly almost, almost shy sort of person. How did he, how did he manage those, those two things, you know, being, you know, within himself, but also, you know, being this public figure? We'd probably have to ask Ed. Um, and I think, you know, he, he would say in some, again, it's that sort of British gentleman in him, I think, uh, to be reserved, to be modest, uh, to be a great sportsman. Uh, but secretly, deep down, I know I've seen a number of comments lately of this, you know, modest, reserved fellow, um, all of which is true. But once you got him talking about running that he loves so much and about racing that he loves so much, it's almost like the Walter Mitty in him burst out, you know. Uh, and he was as competitive as you could imagine. Uh, uh, you know, again, Roger Robinson recently described him as one of the most remarkable legends in the entire history of running. Um, he was a world record holder, you know, uh, uh, um, for us. Uh, and he chose to do it at home here in Toronto uh, for the most part, um, other than that Rotterdam race. Uh, and, you know, that's put Toronto and Toronto running on the map. I, I, I think, you know, Ed... Ed was a reserved fellow, but you got him talking, and uh, he, he was one determined character, uh, as we've seen from so many of his race pictures. Even the 356, where he, you know, he said afterwards, uh, last fall, oh, there was a time, you know, part there at 25K, I thought, this is it, you know, I'm done, I'm cooked here. But, you know, Ed dug down, and and, and kept going and recovered and 
then all smiles at the finish. You know, I when I think of CRS, I, I think of Ed. I mean, the two ideas are are so intertwined. I mean, even when he wasn't running a couple of years ago, he was he was holding the the finish line tape. Uh, does does the CRS? Do, do you guys have any plans to uh, to to mark him in the upcoming season? Yeah, I, I think that uh, we'll observe Ed. In fact, I, I had spoken to him again at the Robbie Burns run in late January there, before he was diagnosed with, with the cancer, uh, and uh, Ed had agreed to confirm. Uh, what we discussed in, in October, that he would be a sort of grand marshal guest of honor at the spring runoff. Mm. Um, and so we, we plan just to do 30 seconds of silence to, to remember Ed um, uh, before the start of the 8K and again the 5K um, to give us all a moment to reflect before we go out and do the Ed thing and leave it all out there on the course. And then we'll work on something bigger for Waterfront Marathon uh, October the, the 22nd. Um, we, we've been thinking of a number of things. Uh, you know, it, it's still pretty early. Uh, the key thing is, again, uh, Ed was really strongly... Uh, not a fan of commercialism in the sport. Um, he didn't, as he said in New York, have any sponsor endorsements. I'm sure a million times he got offered free shoes and he only took the shoes he won from us. <laughs> uh, uh, so we have to make sure that whatever we do um, is, is definitely respectful of that and, and not non-commercial. Uh, one of the things we might do that we're kicking around is an Ed signing wall. Uh, we always have a big signing wall where mm -hmm. people can leave their messages at the expo. And one side of it this year we might have with some classic Ed photos. People can take selfies uh, next to the images of Ed and they can leave their, you know, hashtag remembering Ed messages on the wall. Uh, so uh, if anyone has any ideas, other people have suggested uh, getting the mayor uh, to allow us to put a, an Ed statue up in Nathan Phillips Square, uh, like, like we have Fred LeBeau uh, in Central Park by the finish uh, of the New York City Marathon. So there's some great ideas uh, coming in, and we'll, we'll take some time to, to think about what we can do. Uh, and something nice like that uh, that's non-commercial. I've been talking with uh, Alan Brooks from the Canada Running Series. He's the race director. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at ALN Brooks. That's with an E-S. Uh, you can also find Canada Run Series on Twitter at RunCRS. Um, you know, I I just want to thank you a lot. I know that you were fairly close to Ed and uh, sharing some of those some of those great stories. I'm I'm sure will be very special to, to the listeners who have, you know, been following along with Ed's career over the years. And we'll always remember, Michael, uh, don't limit yourself. Uh, and I think that memory of Ed will drive us forward. For sure, for sure.
thanks for the opportunity. Uh, much appreciated. The Boston Marathon is just a few weeks away, and Rajon Chazon is getting ready. The head coach and co-founder of Pace in Mind, as well as creative director and head coach of Adidas Runners Toronto and 2012 Canadian Marathon Championship, is back after a couple years off. And we caught up with him a little bit earlier this week to see how things are going. So it's in the past couple of weeks, we've seen some really great runs from you. Um, just just a couple of weeks ago, I believe you you ran a 42.2 kilometer training run and 233.55, which is, you know, pretty fantastic. Uh, you also ran the Chili Half just a couple of weeks ago as well in 107.42. How has the build-up been going, and, uh, you know, what what are you thinking for Boston? Um, yeah, though, that's been great so far. Um, doing chili was uh, was good to just get back into a race and get that uh, race effort done. Since it's been so long that I've done um, an actual build-up and, and go into a race like this. So um, it was a challenge at first, especially being more training. It's very specific to the marathon, so even half marathon pace kind of felt hard very early on um so i was kind of you know debating on if i went out too hard or not or whatever um but yeah it was nice to see that my strength from the marathon and all those moments really paid off and that i was able to like grind it out for way longer than i expected you know like i didn't i didn't have that feeling like i could have went that much faster but I felt like I could have kept on going at that pace. So that was a, yeah, a good way to go into, uh, Boston about, that was like six weeks away from Boston at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about a week ago, a uh, week and a half ago, yeah, we did that 42k, um, run. And yeah, that was great. It was, uh, yeah, good to see that everything's coming together. And, um, obviously it's still, a fair bit away from uh, race pace, but I mean that's what we wanted—just a long, sustained effort, kind of you know, well under control, and that's what it ended up being. So yeah, it was nice—a good practice for fueling and race routine and all that. Do you have any goals for Boston at this point? Um, I mean, a goal I guess would be like under two twenty. Mm. Um, I mean that's. Yeah, that's what I'd really like as my number one goal. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see what the weather's like and all that. But, you know, we're training specifically for the Boston course. So I think whatever kind of fitness I'm in, uh, I'll be able to take advantage of it specifically on that course. So right now, like, yeah, the paces we've trained for and what we call my marathon pace is right on, on 220. So we'll see what kind of weather we get and yeah we'll go from there so why boston i mean there there's rotterdam there's ottawa you know there's a whole bunch of really good marathons that you can do in the spring and i would count boston amongst them but uh yeah why why boston um one of the big reasons is that uh, i have a, a lot of my athletes that i coach from pace and mind that are doing it um, so there's, you know, just within our training group, there's a lot of hype around that race. Um, obviously there's a lot of hype around Boston in general. Um, but it's, I just, I, I love the idea of the course. Um, I think it fits me very well. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of just those time trial kind of race. I, I just like, yeah, I like technical courses that you have to go in 
with a race plan. Um, and yeah, I just want to, I, I love to race. So I, I want to experience that type of atmosphere versus just nailing one pace and, and try to see if you can hang on. For sure. And, you know, I do want to touch a little bit on your, on your coaching as well. You, uh, you of course do coach with the, with the pace of mind group. Um, you are also the head coach of the Adidas runners Toronto group as well too. What do you think that the, that the coaching has done to your training? Do you think it's added a new perspective on things or, you know, how, how have the two combined? Um, yeah, I definitely put a new perspective, you know, working with, uh, so many runners that have a busy lifestyle. Um, you know, I work with a lot of professionals that have kids. Um, so running is you know, something they do really for the pure, the, the love of the sport. Um, so it's been really cool to see that side of it. Um, I find when for a while when I was running full time, um, way back with Brooks, uh, it, it was kind of easy to, um, really think, think too much about, um, to just think too much about the running in itself, that being your one thing going on in life. Uh, so it's been a nice perspective to see that like, yeah, running is just one part of it. I, uh, I noticed that uh, one of your fellow coaches with, with Pace in Mind has been having an excellent year, uh, Kate Van Buskirk. Well, you know, what, what can you say about that? Is there a special, you know, Pace in Mind uh, workout that you're keeping from the rest of the world? You know, what, what is the secret behind the Pace in Mind fitness? Um, well, I mean, Kate, I can't, I can't claim that she, you know, does the workouts that case in mind does but you know i think she's part of that whole uh, environment that we try to create which is yeah just to be grateful that we're able to train hard like this uh and you know same for kate she had you know her health issues that she went through um and had to uh, go in with a different perspective and same for her probably i mean she'd have to speak for herself but i think working around so many athletes that are busy have a busy lifestyle so make it happen um it's really rewarding and motivating for us to you know, to go, you know, to practice what we preach. You you mentioned the, the Brooks Marathon project, which um, you know, I don't know a whole lot about, but it, the whole idea of it, what I do know about it, seems like a pretty cool idea. You know, take a bunch of people who show potential, uh, you know, get them together and and just basically train the heck out of them and, and see what happens. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that the experiment really worked quite to the level that they thought it would. What do you think? What do you think would make an experiment like that work? Um, I think one of the mistakes they might have made early on is that it was a marathon project uh, versus it should have just been, uh, you know, a running project, like where it is. Um, say, I don't know, 800 meters up uh, versus trying to like force everyone into a marathon that might have not been ready at the time, that we're just coming out of school, maybe not running, you know, super high volume. Um, so I think that might have been one aspect of it because um, it, 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 it's tricky in Canada. I mean, we don't have the numbers that the U.S. has. Um, so I think that might have been one of the big mistakes they've made. Um, so... Yeah, I'm not sure if that's the only point or what else, but I think that's what one of the things that I've noticed that didn't really help the program. 
So I, I don't know how much people know about you, but uh, you actually famously kind of got a later start on the whole running thing. Do you think that that, uh, I mean, maybe exp- explain your beginnings in the sport and uh, do you think that might have been an, an actual advantage in that, that you weren't super overtrained by the time you got to the age, you know, 25, 26, uh, or even to the point that you are at now? Yeah, I think it did help. Um, you know, both physically and mentally, um, like physically, uh, or I guess mentally when, when I got into a bit more competitive running, it was very motivating to be in my early to mid twenties and just having huge PBs at every single distance. Um, cause yeah, going a, a little bit back to how I started, it's like I started at 21, I guess I get, I started a little bit more competitive running. I was running a little bit when I was younger me at the time um, and got injured and stuff like that couldn't play contact sports anymore couldn't play hockey so kind of randomly got into running um, and then when I moved to Ottawa at 24 is when I started running a little bit more um, and yeah it was nice to be or have you know minute two minute okay um, so it was very motivating um, and yeah I had so much untapped potential from just the volume uh, that I could increase every year. I was so far from from my ceiling, and uh, yeah, physically, I think it was a huge bonus to not be as banged up. You know, having um, my health issues with my back, which is um, the reason why I kind of quit the sport for a little bit. Um, and now hopefully I have that out of the way. So, you know, you did mention that, that it's, uh, it's been a little while since we've seen you out, uh, you know, running super competitively and stuff. What, what have you been doing the past couple of years? Uh, concentrating on coaching for the most part. So, uh, yes, I've built my, my company pace in mind and, um, to build a, a solid training group here, uh, mostly with local runners in Toronto. Um, and yeah, so just been concentrating on that, still keeping fit along the way so I could, uh, you know, help pace some of my runners and, and just, I still love the sport. I've always loved the sport along the way. Uh, but yeah, just concentrating on, on coaching. That really was mostly it. So I have to know your Strava picture is, I believe, of Rambo. However, if you're going to give me, you know, a, a top three Sylvester Stallone movies, you know, what are your go-tos? Um, I've got to go with the Rockies, uh, the Rocky series. Whether it's, you know, Drago, uh, uh, or the fifth one, I can't remember. Uh, Drago's fourth uh, one, I think. Mr. T. Yeah. Number uh, three. Definitely that one. Like, whole training montage is is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. I remember, I mean, I'm a huge geek when I used to get ready for for a race or something like that the day before one of my uh, goal races, like, way back. Yeah, I would watch one of those movies or something to get me pumped up. Uh, So... um, yeah, definitely like the whole rock, Rocky series. I'm going to go with that. We've been talking with uh, Rajon Chazon. You can uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Rajon underscore Chazon. Uh, you can also find his his group, the Pace and Mind group. Um, I believe that they are also on Twitter at Pace and Mind. Uh, 
He will be running in Boston in just under a month now. And uh, hey, man, thanks a lot for being on the show this week. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Before we go, I do want to mention that the Spring Runoff is in just a couple weeks, and you can still sign up and register for that at springrunoff.ca. There will be a moment of silence for Ed before the race to mark that incredible runner. In the coming days while you're out on a run, Alan would like me to mention, and I do agree with him, that we should give a thought to Ed and his competitiveness and how much he loved the race. Get out there and go enjoy a run with your friends. Big thanks to my guests this week, both Alan and Rajon, also to Tracky for their ongoing support. If you want to find us online, you can do so at The Terminal Mile, both on Instagram and Twitter. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Tracky.ca. Thanks to you for listening. This has been The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Music